Well, good morning to you all. It is a delight to be here. Uh, we have been, uh, <clears throat> how do I want to say this, enriched in our walk with the Lord for all of these years by listening to Pastor Shane preach and to know his family and his kids. And it's been a real joy and a delight to get to know many of you uh, during these years. We're <clears throat> back and forth between here and Indianapolis. So if we're not here every Sunday, that's, uh, that's kind of why. Thank you also for the support that you've uh, given in many, uh, in many, over many years to places like now Huntington University and uh, WBCL, uh, where I was involved for many years as well as the university. Christian colleges are special places. We have another good one right up the road here at Spring Arbor. And so hopefully uh, uh, you as parents and grandparents will help to make that possible for your kids and grandkids uh, in, the years, in the years to come. My topic this morning, I've entitled, Navigating Life's Difficult Conversations. And we really want to focus on a case study on one of the shortest books, doesn't even have more than one chapter, it has 25 verses, a case study on the book of Philemon. We'll get to that in a minute. As we learned from Kevin's sermon of last week in Ecclesiastes 3, these are interesting times in which we live. Indeed, the reality is that people, faith, people of faith have always lived in interesting times, if not difficult times, where there have been strong opposition to faith. And we have read about times or seen times when people simply have chosen to live their lives in disobedience to truth. The scriptures are filled with these kinds of examples. The book of Judges, for example, is an illustration. After Joshua died, there were a variety of judges that came to power. But alas, all of those people passed on, and we read this in Judges 2.10. After that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. That, my friends, is one of the most scary, frightening verses in the Bible. We are only one generation away from having our faith extinguished. And so you talk about verses in the Bible, particularly the Psalms, like Psalm 78, that talk about the responsibility of parents. When you think about the the responsibility of a family, what is it? It's to steward the purposes of God from generation to generation. And that has a grandparent target all over it, that has a parent target all over it. And as David said in Psalm 78, for those young people, those generations yet unborn. We also read in Judges 21-25, these sobering words, and after those days, everyone did as they saw fit. Is that kind of a reminder of the days in which we live uh, today? <clears throat> so too in the New Testament, Paul said this in his letter to, uh, to Timothy, for a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear, and they will reject the truth and chase 
after myths. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3. This morning, however, my focus is not on what is going on out there or on them. Rather, my focus this morning is primarily on us and how we believers are called to live together in community during these days, these times. Specifically, I want to focus on how we choose or not to engage the difficult issues that we face as believers within our various communities. Now, let's think about the various communities for a moment that we're involved with. Our family community, our workplace community, perhaps even here within this body of Christ. Most likely, to engage these difficult issues from time to time, we will have to engage in difficult conversations. Now, there are a variety of biblical examples which illustrate various kinds of dysfunction that exist within our various types of faith communities. Now, let me give you a couple of examples to illustrate this uh, from the scriptures. Let's talk about family issues. I mean, right out of the shoot in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, we have what? Cain killing his brother, Abel. Later on, we see that in Genesis 4. Later on, we from Genesis 37 through 50, and many other examples, we have the narrative of Joseph and his family issues with his brothers. There are clearly family issues that we are involved in in our communities. Uh, we also read in Second uh, uh, Samuel the story of the father and son issues between David and Absalom. There were periods of time where David refused to speak to his son. His son ran off, and father finally brought him back, but he still refused to speak to his son. And you know, we know the tragic circumstances and end result of that kind of dysfunction. We read in 1 Samuel chapter 2 about the problems with Eli and his sons. He refused to discipline, the scripture says, his sons, and God took the lives of all three of them. So we have family issues. We have father-son issues. We have husband-wife issues that the scripture talks about. I mean, Genesis 27 is a remarkable story involving Isaac and Rebekah. I mean, you talk about scheming, going behind the husband's back, uh, the father not being as alert as he should have been to family dynamics, the trouble between uh, Jacob and Esau, which is another sibling example of, ri of brother uh, rivalry. Uh, these are examples of the way the scripture in unvarnished ways says, here are some dysfunctions in our families. And then, of course, one of the other communities that the scripture talks about are ministry communities. And here I'm thinking specifically about the dispute between Paul and Barnabas over John Mark. If you look at Acts 15, verses 36 to 41, Paul was so angry and so upset at Barnabas over something John Mark had done. We, can, we have to guess as, as to what it was that he did because the scripture doesn't really tell us clearly what it was. Paul, Paul says, it, it, the uh, writer in Acts says it this way, their disagreement 
was so sharp, they separated. And so instead of the ministry team of Paul and Barnabas, you had the ministry team of Paul and Silas, and then you had the ministry team of Barnabas and John Mark. The ministry focus doubled in spite of it. But my point here is that the scripture is filled with illustrations of these kinds of difficulties within the various types of communities where God has us located. And so the question is, what do we do about those kinds of issues? Uh, last week, Kevin, we talked, you talked about uh, the verse in Ecclesiastes 3, 11. He makes everything beautiful in its time, and indeed he does. But many of these difficulties that I've just talked about were never made right. For example, Abel and Cain, that was never resolved. David and Absalom was never really resolved. Reconciliation was never achieved between Eli and his sons. So whichever might be your community of involvement this morning, what might be God's desire for how relationships should look like in your community? Jesus himself tells us in many places what our community should look like. And this is only one example that I want you to see in John chapter 17, verse 23. Jesus said it this way, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they, this community of believers, may be one. I in them, and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me. In other words, when the world looks at our community, whichever community it is that we're involved in, the world should say, hmm, I see Jesus in that group. I see what it is to be a follower of Christ by looking at that group. The Apostle Paul, guided by the Holy Spirit, set out his expectations for community in multiple places. And one of my favorites is in Colossians chapter 3. And I just want to read these verses. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves. And, and notice how these expressions, these very words track Galatians 5.22, in terms of the fruit of the Spirit. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. We're going to come back to that in a minute when we get into Philemon. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Okay, so we now have the expectations. This is what our communities ought to look like. This is the standard that we aspire to, that we work toward in terms of being faithful to what God calls us to do. So how do we deal with issues of concern when they arise? What are we supposed to do? Do we, Nathan-like, approach the Davids in our lives with a kind of modern version of, you are the man or the woman? Let's not forget the powerful role of spirit-inspired preaching and teaching in this process, as Paul noted in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. In other words, one of the ways we deal with some of these difficult issues is through the powerful preaching and teaching of God's word. 
Sometimes, though, it will take a person like you or me, directed and guided by the Holy Spirit, to be the person that eventually helps to right the wrong, to make things better within the family and other communities. Again, think about the various communities you're engaged in. In what situation are you currently involved in where God might use you or might want you using the variety of gifts he has given to you to get involved in some way to help right a wrong or to make a difficult situation better? This text this morning in the book of Philemon provides a case study for us as to how God used the Apostle Paul through his engagement in courageous conversations to address a potentially explosive issue in the church at Colossae. Now we're going to read the text here in a few minutes, but I, I want to give you a little background for, to this story before we read the text. Paul, according to commentators, had been in Ephesians, or in Ephesus, pardon me. Now the modern-day version is called Kusadaki. He was in Ephesus preaching for a couple of years, a very fruitful time in Paul's life. And this man from Colossae, which is kind of a really nice city up in the hills, had come to Ephesus and had heard the preaching of the Apostle Paul. And in that process, he came to faith in Christ and went back to Colossae. Presumably, he was a business person. And he started a house church. And we'll see this uh, in, in uh, Colossians chapter 4, which gives a lot of background to this, this, uh, this text. So uh, Philemon is now a, a brother in the Lord, part of a house church in Colossae. Let's read, the, uh, let's read the text in Philemon. We're going to read the first 22 verses. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and I, I, as we read through this, I want you to kind of like make a mental note. Okay, so this is what we're going to look at. What are the steps that Paul engaged in, guided by the Holy Spirit, to help make this situation better? Paul a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon and our dear friend and fellow worker, to Aphi, our sister, to Arhippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Remember we talked about he was in a house church. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. Because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Wouldn't you love to have somebody say that about you? You have refreshed the hearts of, your, of the saints. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, well, I appear to you on the basis of love. Now, let me just stop here for a moment. We'll keep this on the screen. What had happened was is that in his old life, before he was a believer, Philemon was a slave owner. 
He owned slaves. And one of his slaves was a person by the name of Onesimus. Onesimus thought, this is not a good deal. I don't really like this kind of situation. So he left, which was a capital offense, meaning worthy of the death penalty in that culture, and went to Rome, where Paul now was, and came to faith under Paul's teaching in the city of Rome. So now we have Paul, having gotten to know Onesimus, remember he led Philemon to the Lord a couple years earlier, Paul now has this runaway slave, which meant he had an obligation to turn him into the authorities or somehow to work to make it right, and Paul's saying, how in the world do I do this? How do I right this wrong? Now let's go back to the, the text in Philemon, therefore... Although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then as Paul, an old man and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Some of you may have seen the movie that was out a couple of months ago called Paul the Apostle. Keep in mind, Paul is in prison as he's writing this note. I appeal to you my, for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you. But now he's become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to have keep, keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor that you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good. No longer as a slave, but rather better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dear to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you to answer and answer to your prayers. So here's the strategy that Paul joined on, and and what I... What I want to encourage you to think about this morning, I think we have a template here. I think we have a very practical set of at least seven steps guided by the Holy Spirit as to how we engage the difficult issues within our own communities. It could be husband and wife issues. It could be father, mother, children issues. It could be grandparent, grand. You know, we went through a lot of issues again earlier in this in this message. But this, I think, is as a case study for us to help us as we wrestle with our our own issues. So the strategy was this. Paul, in his prison cell, wrote three letters, one to the Church of Colossae, which we just read from in Colossians chapter three, one to the church of Laodicea. Never seen that letter. But it's Paul refers to it in, 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 in chapter 4 of Colossians. And one to Philemon to address this issue. That's what we're going to focus on this morning. 
And the task was for Onesimus, the runaway slave, along with Tychius, Paul's colleague, to take those letters back to Colossae, where they would be given to Philemon, at least the, the epistle to the Philemon. So can you imagine Onesimus going, oh my goodness, what's going to happen to me when I get back to Colossae? He's going to turn me over to the authorities. I'm going to be in trouble. So it was a step of faith, really, for Onesimus to agree into this strategy. But here are the seven things. Here are the seven things that we see in this text, at least seven. You can probably come up with a much longer list, but these are the seven that I want to focus on this morning very quickly. First of all, we see in verse 4 that Paul bathed this situation in prayer. You just don't roll out of bed kind of, uh, you know, some morning and say, well, I'm just going to confront Charlie or whatever the issue or Mary or whatever the issue. You pray about these kinds of things. You ask God's spirit to go and prepare the hearts of people. You prepare my heart. You know, uh, Jesus said, uh, you know, when it came to judging, you take care of the beam that's in your own eye before you take a care of the speck of dust in your brother or sister's eye. So all of that is preparatory, I think, to engaging in these kinds of conversations. Bathe it in prayer as you go forward. The second one, and here we get these in, in verses 4 through 7, Paul began this letter to Philemon on a positive note all the while affirming qualities of character he saw in his brother Philemon. He didn't start with what was wrong with Philemon. He started with the things that were right about Philemon. Now, one of the problems we have is that we sometimes let the person's shortcomings be all that we think about. But everybody has redeeming qualities if we look hard enough. You know, uh, the memory verses for Next week, Philippians 4, 6, and 7 uh, are, are powerful ones, but I, I want to read to you verse 8, which builds on that, and those of you who are more aggressive might just add verse 8 to the, to the list of things that you're memorizing, because one of, the, one of the things that we're called to do is to make sure that we think about the right kinds of things. And I, I want to encourage you as you think about the person you're going to be dealing with, the person that God puts on your heart or mind or may put on your heart and mind this morning, that these are the kinds of things you, you focus on. Listen to what Paul says. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, how much is whatever? Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, excellent, or praiseworthy, think about such things. I mean, how much is whatever? I mean, let's, we can look for the good in other people in spite of the fact that they may have done something that, is, that have hurt us or hurt our family or our situation. Paul started on a positive note and he affirmed qualities of character, your faith, your love, your gentleness your realness with other people, the kind of fruit of the Spirit that we talked about in Galatians chapter 5. Some of you are saying, well, I can't think of any good thing about the person that really has driven me or drives me crazy. Well, let me tell you this quick little story of Matthew Henry. Some of you are familiar with something called a Matthew Henry commentary series. 
I'll bet you, Kevin, you've heard of it, and your dad maybe has one, or maybe you have one in your, your library. Maybe the church has one here in its library. But Matthew Henry was always this positive person. He lived the reality of Philippians 4.8 in his life. And after his death, you know, some young skeptics were going through his, his journals that he took, and they, they came across this incident. Today, I was set upon by a group of highway robbers. And the skeptic was saying, well, where's he going to find good in that situation? Amazingly, here's what Matthew Henry said. I'm thankful that today is only the first time I've ever been robbed. Secondly, I'm thankful that they were after only my money and not my life. And then thirdly, I'm thankful that God allowed me to be born into a family context where I could be the robbed and didn't ever have to resort to being the robber. The first time I heard that story, I was on a complaining trip someplace, and I was complaining about this and complaining about that, and I heard this Matthew Henry commentary story, and I went, oh my goodness. My point is, this is exactly what Paul is doing in Philippians 4.8, but also in his letter to Philemon. You see how, you know, the skeptic would say, well, he's setting him up. Well, if he's doing that, he's doing that under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and so too must we. He bathed the situation with prayer, verse 4. He began on a positive note, all the while affirming qualities of character, verses 4 through 7. Number 3, he made his appeal based on love, not on power. You see the way Paul says this in verse 8. Therefore, although in Christ, I could be bold and order you to do this. Well, I have the position. I am the dad. You know, I'm, I'm whatever the role would be. You know, Paul says it's better to base it in love, not power. And I think those of us who've ever been involved in these kinds of situations can see and understand that reality. He didn't use the power card. He says that in verse 8, verse 9, and verse 14. Number four, he was specific in his request. Verses 10, verse 17. Welcome him as if you would welcome me, is the way the apostle said it. Welcome me as your brother. You know, it's a kind of a subtle way for him to say, you know what, you've been forgiven by the Lord. Finally, I mean, you now need a forgiven person now needs to be a forgiving person. So too must we. He was specific. Sometimes in our dealing with difficult issues, we dance around what we want. People, we think the other person will guess at what my issue is. Paul's saying be specific. Be specific. Number five, be prepared. This, this is tough. Be prepared to get involved financially if there is economic loss. Verse 18 and 19, Paul says, if he owes you anything, charge it to me. In verse 9, 19, he says, I will pay you back. No skin off Paul's nose, but here he is volunteering to say, I'm going to help you if there's economic loss. Verse 21 is number 6. Expect a positive result. You see what he says in verse 21. And knowing that you will do even more than I ask. He expected a positive result. So too should you. And then the last of the seven points is be prepared to follow up the situation. 
It just so happens that he said, and one more thing, prepare a guest room for me because I'm coming to see you. I want to make sure that you've done what I've asked. That follow-up is really, really important. Some of you are saying, boy, Lord, increase our faith. No, it, Lord, increase my willingness to be obedient to how you lead in my life. Paul was practicing faithful obedience when he was led by the Spirit to engage in this courageous conversation with his brother Philemon. Remember James 4.17, therefore to that person that knows what to do and doesn't do it, to that person it is sin. Here are the seven steps again. Bathe the situation with prayer. Begin on a positive note, affirming qualities of character. Make your appeal based on love rather than using the power card. Be specific in your request. Be prepared to get involved financially. Expect a positive result and be prepared to follow up the situation. So how did all of this turn out? We don't know from the text. But there is some evidence from church history that this runaway slave, Onesimus, became a beloved brother, and eventually the bishop of the church of Ephesus. And my prayer for all of us this morning is that our, in our Christian communities, we will reflect the kind of unity that Jesus talked about in John 17, that when seen by a watching world, our unity will draw people to himself. And for that to happen, sometimes that requires us individually, or in small groups, think Matthew 18 here, to engage in courageous conversations that will help address difficult issues. For some of you, our Lord will confirm this need and place it on your heart. For others, maybe he already has. God will prepare the way for each of us if he calls us to engage in these kinds of conversations. Don't do it in your own strength, but in his and use the teachings from Philippians as a lamp for your feet and a light to your path. Will you? Lord in heaven, we thank you for the way you teach and guide us through your word. This case study, even though it's hundreds, not thousands of years old, is still as relevant and helpful to us today and the way we live our lives and the service that you call us to render in the various communities where you have, have us place. Guide us and direct us as we walk in obedience to do what you ask us to do. We ask these things in the powerful name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.